the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Wednesday Show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff that's going on in your life, whatever is on your heart, all you have to do is pick up the phone and call 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And remember, as always, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. This is a Wednesday, so we got some stuff going on here tonight. I'm going to be teaching uh, Haggai chapter 2, the first nine verses. Um, it's a particularly appropriate study for us, what we're dealing with here at Calvary Chapel at this present time. Uh, but I think it's a, it's a study that's really significant for all of us. So that is tonight. Uh, you can watch it live stream at calvarysa.com beginning at 7 o'clock. We always have room on Wednesday, and it would be wonderful just to have you join us as well. And then, of course, Wednesday today means Thursday tomorrow, and Thursday means the date day edition of the program with Paula. Uh, I would ask all of you to keep Paula in your prayers. She's getting ready to go uh, speak at a pastor's wives conference uh, in uh, Houston uh, beginning on Friday night. Uh, So uh, keep her in your prayers and uh, maybe you can encourage her on the air tomorrow with all of that. Okay, let me get to some questions while we await your phone calls. Uh, The first thing I want to pick up today is a a caller that was right at the end of the program yesterday, and we didn't have the time to do it. His name is Curtis, uh, and he said, um, I had a call about deconstructing our faith, uh, and he said, uh, for some, deconstructing their faith is a matter of separating Christian nationalism from biblical Christianity, and that's the journey that some of us are on. We're trying to find a Jesus of the Bible and not the image we've created in America. Now, Curtis, I have no idea what image you think has been created in America, but that's a good thing about the Bible. The problem with deconstruction is you're throwing out the Bible. And the Bible shows us who Jesus is. We don't have to worry about that. And because Jesus never changes, we don't have any issues regarding, uh, well, what do we believe today? What's right? What's wrong? Uh, The problem is that we are looking to find a way to accept all of the things that are going on in this world. 
homosexuality, gay marriage, uh, transsexualism, the whole LGBTQ. And now I find there's an IA at the end of it as well. Uh, we're trying to find a reason to accept all of that. And, and, you know, too many people, and Curtis, don't take this person because I don't know you, but too many people who say they're trying to find the Jesus of the Bible. They're trying to find the Jesus that they think, well, Jesus is love and he just loves and accepts people the way they are. And he does not. Now, he does love people, but he doesn't accept them and their sinful behavior. That's the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible is Revelation chapter 19, where he comes and destroys those who are his enemies with a single word from his mouth. That's the Jesus of the Bible. Yes, he's love, and yes, he's compassionate, and yes, he's slow to anger. All of those things are true. He is so gracious to us, but he's also holy, almighty God. And when he returns, Curtis, he will have King of Kings and Lord of Lords written on his thigh and on his robe, and there's not going to be a chance to say, well, you know, I was just deconstructing my faith. The faith is something that we cannot deconstruct. It's the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. And if we remember that, then we're on solid ground. Now, let me address Christian nationalism. These are broad brushstrokes. It is so easy to find churches that are not political. I pastor one of those churches. It's a church that says wrong is wrong and and right is right, and we don't compromise on that. That's not Christian nationalism. That's the Jesus of the Bible. But it's easy, and you're right about one thing. There are churches that have gotten way too political and way too right-wing in their politics, and uh, the, the church shouldn't be political at all. Don't blame the church generally for those few pastors who have sort of lost their way into uh, delivering a political construct. There are a few, and it is sad that they are also leaving the Word of God and teaching um, cultural issues that, that, yes, they need to be addressed, and yes, we can say this is right and this is wrong, but that is a very small number of Christian churches, Curtis. So this is just an excuse that people use to tear out all of the parts of the Bible that they don't like. So you call it a journey that you're on. It is a journey, a path to destruction. You cannot divorce Jesus from the Word of God, from Matthew through Revelation in the New Testament. You're too often, well, I'm looking for the Jesus of the Gospels. Uh, That Jesus is on every page of your Bible, Old Testament and New. And he's the Jesus that we have to find if we're sincerely seeking. But trying to find a Jesus that will allow you to sin, trying to find a Jesus that will allow you to accept people's sinful behavior without telling them about Jesus having the answer for their sin, you won't find that Jesus because he doesn't exist. That's a Jesus of our imagination, a Jesus of our own making. So it's a cop-out, Curtis, to say you're separating Christian nationalism from biblical Christianity. Um, Those churches that are all politics all the time, they're just as much in error as those churches that are heretical in areas of doctrine and heresy. But don't blame them for your deconstructing of the faith. The faith has never changed. It never will change. The way imperfect people view and relate to the faith changes, but that doesn't have to change you, Curtis, not at all, not even a little bit. So forget the image we've created in America. We have a Jesus uh, of the Bible that's preached day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. That's the Jesus that saves. That's the Jesus that gives us grace to teach us to live upright and self-controlled lives in this present age. So don't justify running away from the Bible in search of biblical Christianity. You can't separate the two. If you're going to a church or have been going to a church, Curtis, that is over the top politically, just find another one. There are way, way, way more of those churches than there are of the churches that you're speaking about. Hope that makes sense to you, Curtis. 
And uh, I hope you'll be honest and get real with what your real motives are. And I'm going to say what I said yesterday, and then I'll move on to something else. People that are deconstructing their faith are simply looking for an excuse to accept sin in their lives and in the lives of others. You won't find that Jesus in your Bible. The Bible is inseparable from a fruitful, abundant life in Jesus Christ. It's the only way we can know who he is. And we don't get to change. I'm sorry. We don't get to change him. We don't get to um, create our own little G God. Um, And you can call him Jesus. But if he's not the Jesus of the Bible, he is, in fact, an idol of our own making. We forget, I think, sometimes that we're created in his image. And we continually try to create um, him uh, in our image. We we want uh, him to change so that we don't have to. Here's a question from our email inbox. This one is from Kaylee from Korea. Kaylee, God bless you and thank you for tuning in all the way from Korea. We miss you and praying for you and I trust all is doing well. She says, I've been reading through Exodus What do you think would have happened if Moses partially obeyed God's command? For example, if he went when Pharaoh said he could go with the men but leave the young, or you can bring the the men and the young but leave the livestock, would obeying God's command partially be the same as disobeying him altogether? Um, In your last question, Kaylee, you've answered uh, your earlier question. Uh, Partial obedience is disobedience, period. This would have been Moses who was given the word of God. This would have been Moses compromising with the word that he knew was from God. Remember, he saw God in the burning bush. He saw that bush that was on fire but wasn't consumed. He heard the voice that said, take off thy sandals, for the ground that you're standing on is holy ground. And for him then to play fast and loose with the directions of God would have been disobedience. Thus, he would have forfeited uh, the blessings of God, all of the promises that God had made, the way that God wanted to use him. Uh, Moses would not have been able to represent God because disobedience or partial obedience is a direct misrepresentation of who he is. Now, Kaylee, fortunately, these are the kind of things that we think about as we're looking through the Bible. Well, what if Adam hadn't sinned? Uh, what if Moses would have compromised? Um, there's really no value in approaching those questions because what we have in the narrative is what actually happened. And so to go to a place, well, if this would have happened, what then would have been the result? Um, We don't have to worry about that because it didn't happen. And the reason it didn't happen is because God is faithful even when we're not. The reason it didn't happen is because God knows the end from the beginning. When God chose Moses, he knew he chose a man or chose a man who would be faithful and who would actually represent him faithfully and accurately. And until, I mean, there's no question about what would have happened. So let's try to avoid, Kaylee, all of the questions uh, about the what-ifs, the hypotheticals. Uh, There's just no value at all in trying to find the answers to those questions because there are really no answers at all. Thank you, Kaylee. God bless you. Please give your husband um, our grant, uh, our love, and we miss you guys very, very much and can't wait till we can see you again. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's a question that thrills me. It's an anonymous one from our mobile app. And honestly, I don't really know how to answer, so I'll kind of work it out as I I share my heart. Uh, Pastor Ron, I visited your church this past Sunday, and I was shocked at how many young people you had in your church. How do you do it? Um, Anonymous, we don't do anything. There's, There's no target audience that we try to reach. I can promise you that they're not coming to church because they've got a really cool, hip pastor because I'm the pastor and I'm about as boring as you can possibly be. God does the work. Now, I know that's a, a general, I don't mean it to be a, sound like a super spiritual answer, but our job, my job, is to teach the Word of God. The Holy Spirit's job is to bring people. Now, to be very candid with you, a lot of those kids have grown up here. 
A lot of those kids were born into this church, and now they're in their early and mid-20s, and, and, uh, and they're still on fire for Jesus. That's wonderful. Uh, our youth ministries, Anonymous, also teach the Word. And I can promise you that neither of my youth pastors are particularly cool guys. Now, I love them with all of my heart, but they're not the kind of guy that you come in and say, wow, that dude has really got it going on. He, they're just people that love Jesus, love his word, and their faith is contagious and people get it. One thing I can tell you for sure is that when young people come to our church for the first time, and they get involved, whether it's in the sanctuary or in the in the, the high school or junior high school ministries, they understand that this isn't like the other churches that we're serious about what we do and what we teach. So it's really important to understand that God has done this work. He's kept it together. He's the one who's faithful with these young men and women's uh, service. One of the things that thrills me the most, Anonymous, is that these kids are serving from the time they're in elementary school. Um, you know, they don't just come and sit and get entertained or, or listen to a Bible study. Uh, they're encouraged to start serving from the very beginning. And by the time uh, they've graduated high school, now they're in their early 20s or they're in college and they're in their mid-20s, um, by, by the time they get there, serving is a part of who they are evangelism is also a part of who they are. They tell other people about the Word of God. They tell other people the good news of the gospel. They invite other people to church. And so it's not any plan that we have. Uh, Our church is, as you would have noticed, is as diverse as it can possibly be in every facet, uh, ethnically, racially, uh, our church is diverse socioeconomically. Our church is diverse in terms of age. Uh, we've been blessed by uh, people who've been in our church for, we've been here for 28 years, and uh, we've actually got people who are still here from the very beginning. And we have a lot of people, Anonymous, who have been here for 20 or more years. A lot, a lot of people who've been here for all those times. In addition, we have lots of people who are new every week as well. So that's sort of the solid foundation that God has given this church. And uh, you will see our kids serving. You will see our young men and women who are serving. Uh, They never stop. One of the real thrilling things that happens, we got it coming up sometime very soon. I don't have the the exact date, but our Vacation Bible School, Calvary Kids Bible School, um, uh, the people that will be serving there are the people that are too old to go you know, they went until they're like in sixth grade, but then you'll see the seventh through the twelfth graders, and they're the ones who are serving. And again, they grow up, and serving is a part of who they are. It's serving is a part of their church experience, and uh, the reality is that that is contagious. And when people see that, um, they understand that, that church isn't just about uh, going and sitting and listening to a sermon. I said in my study last week that, that coming to church... Uh, Being a spectator is not serving God. We need to come and offer our bodies as living sacrifices. And I'll say one other thing, Anonymous. um, Finding the real Jesus and serving him in fellowship with with a body of believers is fun. It's exciting. It's challenging. And the young people at our church are thrilled, absolutely thrilled to be a part of it. I said that would be the last thing I say. One more thing. We don't have separate groups for ages. Now, we have a high school church, a junior high school church. We've got uh, age-appropriate church uh, uh, Bible studies for kids from preschool all the way up, uh, including the nursery. Uh, but but when somebody graduates from high school, we don't have a college and career group. We, don't, we tell them, look, now you're growing up, you're an adult, so act like an adult, join the adult church. That's really an important consideration, uh, and our church really is not splintered. We don't have singles groups, and we don't have um, uh, recovery groups, and we just have people that come, hear the Bible taught, surrender their heart, and then they serve the body of Christ. It's an amazing thing. So this is a thrill to me that that it was noticeable, um, but, but those young people, talk to them. If you come again, talk to them. And ask them to tell you their experience. Um, they're going to tell you. Um, 
They love Jesus with all of their heart, and they're doing what they were called by God to do. Okay, let's go to another. My uh, producer gave me the dates for Calvary Kids Bible School. It's Monday, July 24th through Friday, July 28th. And uh, your children from K through 6th grade are welcome to come. And we would love, uh, in fact, to to have them. And and, uh, I promise you they'll have a great time, but they're going to learn about Jesus. And they're going to have an opportunity to get saved. Great, great, great questions. Thank you for that observation, for that comment. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question anonymous again. My boyfriend, and then she adds parenthetically, we are serious. My boyfriend pressures me in having sex when he knows I don't want to because of my faith. I don't want to lose him, so what should I do? Anonymous, the best thing you could do is lose this guy. Lose him. Now, I know you're involved with him emotionally. Clearly, you're also involved with him physically. This is not a man or young man that God has brought into your life. And you are in an unequally yoked relationship, and you need to let him go. In effect, what you're doing is you're choosing between that young man who is defiling you and Jesus who died for you. Now, that's a pretty simple choice. So if he's pressuring you and having sex, he doesn't care about you. He doesn't love you. He may say he does, but that's manipulation. Uh, and you're better off without him. Now, I want to address you very specifically as well because it's time for you to grow up in your faith you say you don't want to have sex because of your faith but you've already demonstrated to this boy that your faith doesn't mean that much to you you've already compromised your faith now you may have told him about Jesus you may even have dragged him to church wherever it is that you go but the reality is he knows your faith doesn't mean as much to you as he does And he's going to continue to take advantage of that. So what you need to do is take a stand with and for Jesus. And what you do is you got to tell this guy, look, I'm not going to get involved with anybody who's not in love with Jesus. I'm not going to get involved with anybody who's going to try to make me sin because I love Jesus too much. One other comment. What you need to do now is repent. Because of your faith, you said. You need to repent and protect your faith. Say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I made willful choices to sin even when I knew it was wrong. And I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And then tell him, I don't want to do it again, Lord, so help me. And he'll do that for you, Anonymous. This boy is not good for you. It's one of the reasons why we talk all the time about not being unequally yoked with unbelievers. And this boy, whatever he says with his mouth matters not at all because his behavior and his trying to pull you down into that sinful behavior demonstrates that he hasn't got a relationship with Jesus at the present time. So you take a stand. You're 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 not a grown-up. I don't know how old you are, but... Um, this this man doesn't want what's best for you. Not at all. What he wants is to satisfy his own lust. And unfortunately, you're the one being dragged into it. Stand strong with Jesus. And maybe this young man will find out that your faith really does mean a lot to you. And you insert, parenthetically, that you're serious. It's time to get serious about your relationship with Jesus Christ, and you have to make that choice. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. i got time for one more question before the break. It's from Gregory. He says, will the Bible be banned during the Great Tribulation? Uh, the answer, Greg, Gregory, is no. It won't be. The Bible has been banned. It's been burned. It's been destroyed uh, throughout history. Uh, but God's word never returns void. And God's word has always been here, no matter the persecution. And God's word will always be here. Uh, and we need to understand that. So, yeah, I'm sure uh, there will be attempts to ban the Bible and persecute those who are holding on to Bibles. Um, this is where Jesus has us surrounded. He's got us protected. 
and there will always be the Word of God. We will have access to the Word of God. His Word will never pass away, we're told in the Scriptures. And uh, so we, we just have to trust Him with that. Imagine the people that are left behind in the Great Tribulation. There will never be a time in history where people need the Word of God more than at that time. And remember, our God is faithful. And he would never leave anybody without a witness. So uh, the Bible will be available. The living, active Word of God will meet people where they are. And I've said many times on the show in answer to questions, uh, there will be the greatest revival in the history of the world, by far, by far the greatest revival in the history of the world during the Great Tribulation. People will be getting saved. It will cost them their lives in all likelihood. Uh, but they will be getting saved. Uh, why? Because God's Word will never pass away. I keep thinking of people throughout history that have tried to end the Bible. Well, it's never worked out very well for them. Not at all. So, Gregory, I hope that encourages you. Um, the Word will be left. I believe with a lot of teaching tapes as well. Not tapes, because they won't have tapes, but teaching tapes on the rapture of the church uh, when the Great Tribulation starts as well. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left on our Wednesday show. Phones are quiet. We'd love your calls and questions. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the Word to Stand Up for Life. I'll be back in two minutes. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Wednesday show. Um, whatever's on your heart, all you got to do is call or email us, questions at calvarysa.com. Uh, by the way, our email problems are resolved, so anything you sent, we're going to be getting now. Here's an anonymous question. Why does it seem the church and or pastors are so preoccupied with sex? Why not just live and let others live? Anonymous, I had this question about a month ago, almost word for word, the same question. So I don't know if it's the same person or not, but um, let me tell you now what I said then in answer to that question. The Bible is preoccupied with sex. Sex is a gift from God. It is a gift that God intends for us to enjoy. It's a gift that God has given married couples, not only to be fruitful and multiply, but to truly enjoy one another's bodies, to have that kind of sexual pleasure and fulfillment. And the Bible addresses Often, those who would misuse this gift. Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, by the way, they had a huge sexual immorality problem in, in the city of Corinth that bled over to the church. Um, and, and he said, you know, all other sins, a man commits or sins outside his body, but the man who sins sexually sins against his own body, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the idea there is that it is a, a sin that has greater consequences. One of those consequences is that it gives Satan a foothold, a deeper inroad. It's almost like we're inviting Satan to destroy us. That's his job. And it's almost like we're inviting him to do it. Hey, just destroy my life. I'm going to help you out here because I can't control my own body. Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament, sex and sexual immorality is a very, very big deal. Now, let me bring it down the corridor of time and space to the time that we live in. Why do we talk about sex? Because sexual immorality is destroying the world that we live in, destroying people that we say we love, and we've become supportive of it in many cases, even as professing Christians. Think about this, Anonymous. One out of three women in our nation is sexually abused. One out of three women, now this is a staggering number, have had an abortion. 
consider that the education system is sexualizing our children at a time before our children psychologically or physically are ready for it. The Song of Solomon, we're told twice, do not awaken desire before it's time, and children are not psychologically ready to accept the, uh, the, the, the sexualization of their lives, the questioning of, uh, of their gender identity. Um, they're simply not ready to do that. Because gender-affirming care means gender being children, I'm sorry, gender-bending children um, without parental consent is now considered a good thing. Consider websites like OnlyFans. It's mainstreamed pornography into college girls, turning them into sex workers. Now, not only girls, but primarily young women, and they become sex trade workers. And they get patted on the back for it. Oh, your ingenuity, your your entrepreneurship is wonderful. No, it's not. It's destroying them. And by the way, the pornography that we have accessible on our phones that our very young children have, they're not psychologically ready for that. It's going to destroy their idea of what sex really is all about. And they will never recover from it. Or children have embraced hardcore porn, most of them before they had their first kiss. Adultery is destroying marriage. In fact, our young men now refuse to get married. One of the things that we're seeing is the advancement of AI. And our young men are not going to get married and have children because they don't think they any longer need to. Sex abuse has devastated our religious systems. We see sexual abuse cases come up regarding churches, not just the Catholic Church, but the the Southern Baptist Convention uh, and, and many, many, many other churches. We see sexual abuse and adultery that is is destroying the work, the holy work of the Church of Jesus Christ. And even people in church, even leaders in churches, are growing accustomed to it. Easy sex has made marriage an unappealing choice. The abortion rate exceeds birth rates among several people groups. We're simply obsessed with what the world is obsessed by. And as pastors who are teaching the Bible... It's our responsibility to tell the truth in love. So, Anonymous, that's why it seems to you like the church and pastors are preoccupied with sex. And the last question is unthinking. Why not just live and let others live? You should have written, why not just let them do what they want and then let them die for eternity? Because that's what's going to happen. Galatians chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians chapter 6 both say that people who live like that, and sexual immorality is just one of the things on that list, those people will not inherit the kingdom of God. So the most unloving thing you can do, Anonymous, is to tell people that it's okay to do what they want. Just to do your own thing. Nobody cares. God cares a great deal. So what I would ask you to do is Get saved. Jesus loves you. He died for your sins. And all the emptiness in your heart that isn't satisfied by free sex or anything else, you'll find the answers and the abundant life Jesus wants for you. But you can only be found in the person of Jesus Christ. Here's a question from Sean. Sean, I'm getting some criticism today. Uh, Sean says, I get a little tired of people like you saying that Jesus is coming soon. He hasn't come no matter how you say he will. Well, Sean, you can get tired as you want, but Jesus said a wicked, lazy servant says, my master delays his coming. Now, Jesus' point was exactly the point I'm going to make. If you aren't interested and looking forward to the return of Jesus Christ, then you fall into a category that nobody who's a real believer wants to fall in. 
It's that simple. Jesus is coming soon. Now, here's part of the problem. We don't understand the idea of soon. It, it, it's better translated suddenly, without warning. Jesus said, a thief doesn't call you and tell you what time he's coming. He comes in the night, and it's a surprise. Jesus is coming soon. When he comes, it will be sudden. There will be no remediation. If you miss it, you will be cast into the greatest disaster this world has ever seen. By far. And I can't overemphasize by far enough. The great tribulation. And so he's coming. And our job is to keep telling people that he's coming soon. You know, Sean, if you look around at the world that we live in, and you see the things that are going on, the falling away, the falling away from the faith. We had a opened a program today with a, a, a statement justifying deconstructing the faith once and for all delivered for the saints. We don't have the privilege to do that. That's the apostasy, the great falling away. We live in a world that believes things that are impossible to believe. And I'm not talking about 100 years ago. I'm talking about just a very few years ago. The things that people accept now as fact, believing it with their whole heart. Those things were considered impossible just a short time ago. That's not being progressive at all. That's being regressive. Truth is the truth. And now we believe that men can become women and women can become men and uh, women um, uh, who, who transition to becoming men can have babies and all this silliness that, that we would have laughed at a short time ago. And now people say, oh, no, the evidence is overwhelming. Studies show, no, it's just a lying spirit that God has permitted in this world that sets us up for the end times. We're seeing increasing national and natural disasters, environmental disasters. I'm going to talk a little bit about that in my Bible study tonight. God is shaking the earth, trying to get our attention. And these disasters are happening with increasing frequency. Now, the world that we live in says, no, that's just global warming or climate change, and and, and we need to do what we can to stop it. We are powerless to stop it. God is doing it. And what we need to do nationally and worldwide is repent of our sin. See, we don't want to do that because then we'd have to admit that we're sinners and we don't like that. So there's only one solution. The evidence is overwhelming. The solution is that Jesus truly is coming soon as he said he was. My final comment is this, Sean. Jesus in the book of Revelation says, I'm coming soon. So if Jesus said it, should we not be shouting it from the rooftops? in this world that we live in. Here is a question from Daniel. He says, Pastor Ron, do you believe in a literal six-day, 24-hour creation, and is it important? Daniel had a similar question, I think, on the program yesterday to this. Yes, we do, um, very strongly. Um, Six days, the Hebrew word in Genesis, uh, is never, ever used uh, in any other way than to describe a literal 24-hour day. So the, the morning and the evening, or the evening and the morning of the first day, that's the day. And then he does that with all of the days. So yes, a literal six-day, 24-hour day creation, and it is more vital than, than most people understand. Uh, I had somebody send in a, a comment about theist, theistic evolution. You know, you can believe in theistic evolution and, and things. Right. Well, the, the, the reality is you can't. If you're a Christian, you can't believe in theistic evolution because if that's true, then Adam and Eve were not the first two uh, human beings on the earth. And I think this, Daniel, is the easiest way to solve this problem. Do you believe that Adam and Eve were the first two humans. No Cro-Magnon man, no Neanderthal man, no Lucy, uh, none of the things that were crammed down our throat uh, growing, going through grade school and junior high school. Do you believe 
that Adam and Eve were the first two people on the earth and they were created in perfection. Now, if your answer is yes, then you're on the right side of the truth. If your answer is, well, no, I don't see why it's so important. After all, science tells us that that, uh, uh, the earth is millions or or billions of years old. Um, um, Science is wrong about everything. I mean, just think about what we've been through since the COVID outbreak in 2020. What did science know? They know nothing about this. You're going to believe Jesus or you're going to believe people who begin with the premise that there is no God. If Adam and Eve weren't the first two human beings, Jesus is a liar. In the beginning, God created them male and female, he said. Jesus, red letters in your Bible. If Jesus is lying, then we can't be saved. If Adam and Eve did not fall in a perfect world in the Garden of Eden, then we lose completely the doctrine of original sin. And if that's not true, then it was unnecessary for Jesus to to, to come to earth in the form of of a baby and grow up and live a life of perfection and die on the cross. So that's how important this idea of a young earth and a literal uh, six twenty-four hour day creation really is. Um, no doubt there are people, Daniel, who are saved, who believe otherwise, um, but I can promise you there's no fruit coming from their ministries. 340-9585, Jennifer asks, did Paul write the letter to the Hebrews? Jennifer, I am 100% convinced that he did. Um, you can read uh, Bible commentators and and so-called biblical scholars, and they'll have all kinds of speculation about who wrote it. But here's what I'm saying. Just read it. Not, not once, not twice. Just keep reading it. And the thought is so very Pauline. I mean, uh, it's if you look at his letters uh, that we know he is the author of. He's not identified as the author in Hebrews. That's okay. Um, but the thoughts are the same. The wording is the same. Uh, I think the biggest problem that some scholars have is that the style of writing is completely different. It is exceptionally Jewish, uh, unlike Paul's other letters. But but they're not unlike the letter to the Galatians, where his his audience was primarily Jewish. Um, it's the same thought process. And if you read it over and over, and when I say read it, if you read it 10, 15, 20 times, um, you're going to you're you're going to almost see Paul waving at you like he's taking a selfie with you or something. Uh, you can't miss the tone. You can't miss the thoughts. So um, the letter to the Hebrews has to be understood in its context, and you need to understand the heart of the author. And in my view, that can only be the Apostle Paul. Doesn't mean you're not saved, Jennifer, if you believe. Uh, It's different. Some will say, well, Apollos wrote it. Others will say Barnabas wrote it. There's absolutely no evidence to suggest any of those things are possible. Um, But the letter in content, in tone, uh, even in language, is very, very Pauline. Here's another anonymous question. Ooh, this is a sad one. I'm older now and can't serve the Lord as I used to be. Will God still use me, and how can he use me? Anonymous, uh, you know, I could have taken this question 10 years ago and really not thought much about it, but uh, your question really hit home in my heart today. Uh, You see, I'm getting older too, and I can't do the things that I used to do. I can't see um, any longer, and I, uh, I don't have the energy that I used to have. Uh, and so what I'm doing and what I would exhort you to do is get so close to Jesus that you depend on him more. Paul wrote that that um, uh, he was so proud of the effective ministry that he's been given, that he is a participant in through the power of the Holy Spirit. So what we have to do is we really have to understand that, that uh, um, this is a phase of life we're in. Um, but God still wants to use you, and we have to seek not only the direction of the Holy Spirit, but we have to plug into the power of the Holy Spirit to do anything at all. Let me personalize this just a little bit. In my life, uh, I'm 72 years old, um, and people think I look older, I think. Um, 
because I don't have the energy that I used to have, um, I have to make sure my priorities are in order. Uh, I, you know, I still do this radio show every day. I do five Bible studies Wednesday, Friday night, and then three on Sunday. Um, uh, and, and of course, there are other things that 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 we do here. Um, but those are just my primary ministries, and and that means on Saturdays, uh, especially uh, uh, afternoon on, I've got to protect my my ability to do the work on Sunday. Uh, so I don't get involved in social things um, because it just takes too much out of me for Sunday. When I go home Sunday, I am absolutely drained and worn out. That didn't used to happen. By the time I get to third service on Sunday, Anonymous, um, I you know, I have a hard time keeping my thoughts together. Uh, I just depend on the Holy Spirit to do it and do the best that I can. All of that to say is... Um, God will use you, whatever gifts he's given you, however, whatever he's called you to do, God will use you. Most notably, as we get older, we can be uh, men and women who pray. Um, We can really be used by God in an intercessory way. We've just got to be committed to doing it. And, and, uh, you know, prayer, uh, my old pastor used to tell me that prayer is firing the winning shot. And uh, so we got to be men and women of prayer. Uh, I, I also think in in a church body. Uh, earlier, I had the question to start this program about uh, a woman who came or, or somebody who came and was shocked by how many young people that we have. Um, a lot of people would be shocked by how many older people we have. And I'm always exhorting the older among us, telling them, look, these young people need you. So don't be intimidated by a group of young people. Befriend them. Invite them to lunch. Young people always eat. Invite them to lunch and talk to them. They need to hear what you have learned in your walk with the Lord. Uh, you can, you can, they can rub off on you with their zeal. So it's a great trade, but they need the older people in the church. So uh, get involved. Um, uh, older people that are married and serving the Lord faithfully. For long periods of time, there is a huge ministry opportunity for people who uh, can minister to young married couples. You know, one thing we've learned is, as older people is that marriage isn't easy. So they can learn from us. So there's a lot of things that you can do. And if you will go to your pastor and say, what are some of the things um, that I can do to, to offer service to this church? Uh, because that's exactly what I want to do. And I tell you, Anonymous, it will change your life. So rather than just sit back passively and say, well, I can't do what I used to do, so I'm not going to do anything. Do something. And I promise you the Holy Spirit will reinvigorate your walk with the Lord, and he will use you in marvelous ways. This will probably be the last question uh, for this program. It is from Rachel. And she says, is it God's will for people to suffer with illness? Rachel, uh, it was never God's will. You remember uh, when Jesus was at the tomb of Lazarus, he fell ill and died, and Jesus showed up, and everybody was weeping and mourning, and, 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 and Jesus wept. He wept because he would have thought, this isn't the way things were supposed to be. This isn't the way I created things. So illness, disease, death never was a part of God's plan. Those things entered into the world when Adam fell. They remain active in the world because we continue to sin. We have inherited his sin nature. And and, uh, so it's just not, it's just something that happens. Um, um, a, a young woman, in, young compared to me, young woman in my church who just got really, really bad news about a condition, cancer condition. And, um, and you know, we want to know why. Th- those are normal questions to ask. Um, but, th- but that's not God's will for us to be sick. It's just that it's the result of a fallen world. And what Jesus says, look, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And those people who are suffering from illness, they need to work really hard and fight. Remember, the enemy will not let up on you because you're sick. 
fight like crazy, and you're going to get closer to Jesus than ever before, and he's going to reveal himself to you like never before. The Apostle Paul calls that sharing in the fellowship of his sufferings. So it's not God's will, but it happens. And I think it would be more appropriate to say, is it God's will to heal? And the answer is sometimes. Not often, but sometimes God intervenes in our illnesses, our sicknesses. And most times he does not. And I think the teaching that uh, is out there that God wants us to be healthy and all you have to do is have enough faith to believe, that is so damaging, Rachel. It is causes so much pain and, and, and literally causes people to question the goodness of God, the fairness of God. Just understand that, that illness, disease, death, those are natural things in a fallen world, and Jesus is the answer. Not that he's going to heal everybody. In fact, he's not going to heal most people. But once in a while, God will heal. And I think that's where our prayers need to be, and it's where our hearts need to be. So, breaks God's heart. It's not the way he made things, uh, but it is a reality of life in this fallen world. Rachel, thank you very much for the question. Hey, the phones are quiet today. Three, four, wait, I don't need to give the phone number now. Uh, you've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Good news, Paula will be with us tomorrow on the Date Day Show. See you then. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.